0: Thank you. You're already crying. (laughs) My mom is already crying, so that's not a good sign. (laughs) Or maybe it is a good sign. Thank you so much for that very warm welcome. I'm overcome and humbled to be here, not so much because... It's a day when the Bills play the Patriots, (laughs) but more so because of the greater story that God has allowed us to be wrapped up in. Yes, we have a story. God has given us a testimony to share, but it is his greater story that makes all the difference, that is the difference. So before I share our story, I am going to pray because by no means do I feel adequate, being up here it's nothing of me that is up here nothing in my strength is going to change your heart today if you walk away with just the story about Jim and Jill and their son Hunter you will not walk away changed but if you walk away with the greater story if God has had a moment with you today then life will not be the same when you leave and that's what I'm going to pray for because that's what needs to happen here That's why this moment has been ordained, for God to do something greater, immeasurably greater than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these moments, Lord. Thank you that you have ordained them before time began. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You've begun a good work in each of our lives, at least those who know you, Lord, today. And I pray that you would have your way here. In this place, in these moments, that you would be magnified and glorified and that hearts and lives would be changed today, forever. Only you can do that, Father. I pray that you would empty each and every one of us of ourselves and all that we have brought into this place. I pray that we would lay it down at the cross because, Jesus, that is where it was taken care of. Everything was taken care of there, everything thank you for allowing us to be a part of a greater story. Be honored here in this place and help us to know and love you more as a result of spending time with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think every story has a beginning pretty much, right? God's story has a beginning in the Genesis, in the book of Genesis, and our story has a beginning that starts with when I met Jim. And I think you should probably know that story. We shared a little bit of it on the video, right? And of course, there's two sides to every story. And my side, it's a good thing I'm here because Jim's is wrong, you see. (laughs) Mine is right. And usually, when we get to share together, which is always an honor and a privilege, it's quite funny when we both share our sides. So, I met Jim, fresh out of college. I was 21 years old. I had just graduated from SUNY Oswego. Okay, so that's all I have to say about my college experience. And I was in a sorority, so you can only gather, right? I graduated from SUNY Oswego. I was working at Fox Valley Country Club in Western New York. And a friend who knew a friend who knew a friend who knew a friend, because that's how it went down back then. Because these were the Super Bowl years, right? Those were the four Super Bowl years, the early 90s, the time that we still wish was here as Bills fans, right? Yes. And I do have some good news for you today, but it's not that Jim's going to coach. And I so wish he would. It is in him to do that. But well, actually, if you start praying about it, who knows? But it was by a friend who knew a friend who knew a friend that I was invited to a party in Jim's basement of his home. Now, during this time in his life, he would have these parties after every home game to bring the players and their families to his home so that they could become more than just a bunch of individuals on a field, okay? So that they could become more of a family, and I really think that that was part of what made them more of a family. And it's, it's why they're still best friends today, most of that core team. So it was at this party that I met Jim. Now, you, have to, you can imagine. I mean, I'm 21. I'm invited to the Super Bowl quarterback's party. We are freaking out. And girls, you'll relate to this, right? I mean, I was in the bathroom every time I had a chance. And just, you know, overwhelmed by the opportunity to be around all of these famous people and just to be a part of all that. I was caught up in it, absolutely. And that was the world that I was living in at that time. So eventually I get to meet Jim, and it's a big, whoa, you know, I'll never forget where I was and, you know, everything he said. And then the night goes on, and as I said in the video, he's so flirting with me. He's thrown ice cubes at me. At one point he comes up to me, he's like, so, do you want to get a little fresh air? And I'm like, no, thank you. I'm fine. (laughs) And I did not get fresh air. And then at the end of the night, it got to that point where it's time to go. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be one of those hang arounders. So my friend and I said, okay, let's go. Let's go, you know, thank Jim. And we're out of there. And so we went up to him. And I said, thank you so much. It was great to meet you. And he says to me, (laughs) and I have to laugh because this is the true story. (laughs) He says to me, he goes, well, how do I get a hold of you? And I said, well, you don't. (laughs) Oh yes, oh yes. And I left, and I left, and I left. There's no Facebook at this point, there's no Twitter, and he has no way to get a hold of me. My friend that I'm with, my girlfriend Laura, she's like, are you insane? And she's had a few drinks. So she wants to go back in to the party and give him my phone number. I have to like literally almost tackle her not to do so. So I don't give Jim my phone number. Somehow, some way, he ends up finding out where I work, ends up calling me at work about a week later. And I answer the phone, this is Twilight Country Club, and he said, well, is Jill Wagoner there? And I said, well, this is she. And he said, well, this is Jim. And I'm like, Jim who? <laughs> you know, ego buster. Yeah, so, so that's how it all began. And he asked me if I would mind going on a date with him, and of course I said yes, and then we started dating. And we were dating for about a year and a half, and like I said, this is during the early 90s, and I am absolutely caught up in all that. Because that's the world I'm living in at that point. It's all about all that. So I'm caught up in all that, and I'm going with the flow. And eventually, though, I decide there has to be somewhat of a decision made Okay? Because I'm just not going to be one of a couple. I'm not going to be one of many. It's going to be just me. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? It's just going to be me and you and that's it. So I moved to Florida and I'm living there with my high school friend and I'm living there for about a year and a half and we keep in touch and Jim's flying me home for football games, which is a bonus. My family is from Western New York. We're huge fans, so I'm coming home for home games. And it's during one of these home games that Jim asks me to move in with him. And now I share this because it's part of my testimony. And the great thing about, or the gracious thing about God, and the great thing about God is that our testimony is part of redemption in Him, and that it's past, present, and future redemption. So that every single part of my story, every single part of your story has been redeemed. Every single part. And so Jim asks me to move in with him and I, of course, I take into consideration the moral implication of that. I come from a morally sound family. My parents raised me Catholic and so I have that whole thing going on in my head. But really not. I don't feel accountable to God in any way, shape, or form, although we are all accountable to God whether we know it or not. But I'm, I'm, So I'm just wrestling with this thing, not wanting to disappoint my parents in any way, but I'm old enough to make that decision, and I choose to move in with Jim. And four months later, I'm pregnant with our first child. And like I said, I share this because it's part of my testimony, and I am so thankful that God has redeemed not only my life, but my daughter Erin's life as well, who is now 17 and on fire for Jesus. And she herself has made a commitment, yes, amen. Aaron herself made a commitment when she was 13 years old to make a pledge of purity before God. In fact, it was almost like a wedding. Jim walked her down the aisle and gave her a ring and everything. And and it's amazing to me how God can take a choice and in the midst of what might look like ashes, he makes that absolutely beautiful. Because that's what God does. He redeems it all. Because if he didn't redeem it all, every single bit of it... He wouldn't be a God of redemption. He redeems it all. And so I'm so thankful that Aaron has, it, has made that choice and that God is gracious and good and that my daughters... You see, my, my daughter Aaron, I was holding her at our wedding because we decided to wait and get married a year later. So, And she's a smart girl. I mean, she's looking at pictures of me holding her at my wedding. She's, she's going to figure that thing out. <laughs> right? Am I right? And, and so for the longest time, after I became a believer, which I will get to... For the longest time, I would pray and pray, and God, please, please give me the opportunity to tell her, because you see, the truth sets us free. I have nothing to hide. I have been freed up in Christ and all that he has done for me. So eventually, God did give me that opportunity, and I shared my heart with Aaron, and and Aaron received it at that moment, and God has done amazing things through that, through the freedom that he has given us in Christ. And Jim does have a shotgun at the door, so I think we're pretty safe (laughs) with the whole guy thing. And it's interesting because we are all about abstinence. We are all about it because that is God's perfect plan. And I want God's perfect plan for my girls. So we pray about it continuously. So we decide to get married a year later, and on our honeymoon is when our second child is conceived. Now, you have to know that Jim comes from a family of six boys, And they all have boys. He wanted Aaron to be a boy. We found out it was going to be a girl. The second time around, we said, you know, we'll just wait and we'll be surprised. However, ladies, and you'll appreciate this, Jim chose not to come to one of the sonogram appointments with me. So, and they asked that question, do you want to know? And of course, I'm like, yes. And I found out that our second child was going to be a boy. And during this time... Jim is deciding whether to retire from the game of NFL, from the game of football. I mean, the thing that he lives and breathes and just that makes him who he is. He's trying to make this very difficult decision. And in the midst of all this, I know that we're having a boy. So, of course, I'm thinking, well, I could tell him to take away a little bit of that pain. But I let him suffer. <laughs> and I hold the secret and I keep it to my heart and ponder over this amazing moment that's going to be when this boy comes into the world. And how good is God that he chose Jim's birthday, February fourteenth, 1997, for my water to break. Oh, my goodness. So my water breaks, and we're rushing to the hospital, and soon after we get there, Hunter's born. Jim is ecstatic. You would have thought he won all four of those Super Bowls. (laughs) And 500 more. I mean, this was... Because, you see, Hunter is the epitome of all that Jim hopes for. This is the protege child that will do all the fun father and son things that, that, that daddies and sons do. In the football thing, are you kidding me? Absolutely he was going to wear 12. Oh my goodness. He was going to be the next one. You know it. And he was going to be out in the woods hunting with his dad and doing all the things that Jim wanted to do. So the script or the playbook for Hunter's Life was, was already written in Jim's eyes. And so we were ecstatic. We couldn't wait to bring Hunter home to his sister Erin, who was almost two at this point. Hunter passes all of his newborn screening tests at the hospital, and he's nursing. Everything is going great. We take him home. He gets starts getting a little bit fussy. They're telling me it's colic, because you know, most of us know in this room what colic is: the three hours every day around the same time. And okay, well, it's but it's getting worse. It's not just three hours, it's pretty much all the time unless he's sleeping. So we go in eventually for a a three-month well visit. And we still have all these concerns because Hunter's very irritable and I stopped nursing. We started every formula on the market and all that kind of stuff. But we go in for a well visit, which you know what a well visit is, right? You go and you get your measurements, the baby gets weighed and you get a few shots and whatever and you're there for a well visit. And you know what to expect. Well, little did we know (laughs) during this three-month well visit that the pediatrician was going to turn to us and say, your son is showing signs of cerebral palsy. Oh, excuse me? (laughs) Okay, we're not ready for that, and we are shocked. And immediately, however, she introduces us to the Early Childhood Intervention Program. You can start getting 100 physical therapy. There's so much you can do for CP. And yay! And, and we jump on that bandwagon. And we're like, okay, we're going to intervene. We're going to do everything we possibly can. Because and, and, that's what you do as a parent. You just do whatever you possibly can. You go above and beyond because that's what you do. I mean, that's what you do. And so we start doing it, and we start. Hunter's getting physical therapy at three months old, and we're taking him into the doctor, we're getting all sorts of tests, and we just started in the flow of this thing. And yet he continued to get worse. And as a mom, I believe our intuition is God-given. I knew something was wrong. I knew that he didn't just have CP, even though I really didn't know very much about CP. But I knew that something was terribly wrong. It eventually took Hunter over an hour to drink an ounce of formula by mouth. And so not only is he irritable all day long, he can't even swallow, he can't drink, he can't, so he's probably hungry. And you know, you're as a, as a mom, like, what? You want to figure this whole thing out, you want to make it better, and you do whatever you can. And so we continue to call the pediatrician and ask questions, and eventually she says, you're going to go to a neurologist, and we're going to, you're, she's going to take some blood work, and we'll see if there's anything more wrong with Hunter. And so we do that. We go to a neurologist at the Children's Hospital of Buffalo, and she says, I'm going to test your son for a family of diseases called leukodystrophies. Okay. I'm like, how do you say that? <laughs> Jim and I are like, okay. And so we go home, we get on the Internet, I look up everything there is to possibly find, which at that point is not very much, about all of these leukodystrophies, and they are all fatal, and they are all genetic. And so at that point in time, I'm pretty confident that he doesn't have that. Because we have nothing on either side of our family. No sort of anything genetic. I mean, there's no problems. My mom comes from a family of 10, huge family. And there's nothing anywhere on either side. And so I feel very confident. Besides the fact that that word fatal, no, no, no. That's not going to process in my heart and mind at that point. No. So I'm feeling very confident And the neurologist finally calls us and says, I have the results of the blood work. I'd like you to come in. And I get off the phone and Jim's like, no, no, that's not good. That's not good. Why didn't she just tell you over the phone? And so our hearts are starting to start uh, breaking wide open because we know we're thinking, okay, this isn't going to be good because she probably would have told us on the phone if it was fine. And so we go into Children's Hospital on a very beautiful summer day. And I remember every single detail about that day. Every single detail. I remember the drive in. I remember the drive home. I remember where I sat in her office. I remember the smell. I remember what she said, obviously. I remember who was there and where where everyone sat and the expression on everyone's face. Because those were the moments that God completely shook out the foundation upon which we were standing and broke every single part of who we were apart. So we sat across from Dr. Duffner and she said, your son Hunter has been diagnosed with Krabbe leukodystrophy. It's fatal, it's genetic, you and Jim both carry a gene. There is no cure and there is no treatment and he will probably not live to see his second birthday. You can get a feeding tube put in if that's what you choose to do, oh, oh yeah, uh, we choose to feed our son. We choose to do whatever it takes. So, in this moment, in this wreckage, in this complete desperate moment in time, here's what my initial thought was this is Jim Kelly's son. Right? Wait, wait, this is Jim Kelly's son, you know, the Super Bowl quarterback guy, the one who we have what it takes to kinda figure this thing out. We have money, we have connections, we can go anywhere in the entire world to take care of Hunter. That's my initial thought. Because guess what, that's all I knew at that point. That's all I knew. I knew every single thing that the world had to offer because God had allowed me to experience that. And guess what, in that moment, it didn't matter because all of it was empty. The answer wasn't in the world for us. And yeah, I was, wished it was. I wish there was a cure. I wish there was a treatment in that moment. But I thank God right now that there wasn't. Because guess what? If there was, that would have been my hope. That's where I would have run to for hope. But I couldn't. There's nothing there. And not only that, at least for me, I couldn't turn to Jim he was wrecked just like I was. And not only that, our marriage was a wreck. So it's not like I, was, I could run to him and cry in his shoulder and get comfort there. And I wanted to so bad. I wanted him to say something that would have made a difference. I wanted him to be the difference. I had so much expectation on that man that he was never meant to fulfill. And we all do that. We all do that. We put expectations on people and they're never meant to fulfill it. Only Christ can. I didn't even realize that until I, I wanted Jim to be all that he could never be. And I'm so thankful that he wasn't. Right now, in that moment, I wanted him to be that. And I, I threw on these expectations on that man. And I'll tell you something. Talk about weighing somebody down. It was weighing me down, and then it certainly had to be weighing on him. Knowing that he couldn't do anything. He couldn't change the outcome. He couldn't help me in any way. I'm so thankful today. That, that was the case. Because guess what? If he was my rock, he would have been my hope then. It would have been Jim. I would have turned to Jim and all that Jim is to be my hope. And it wasn't there. It was empty. He couldn't offer me anything. And so here, everything that I knew and understood about the world and, and all that we had and all that you put your hope in, all of that's nothing. Absolutely devastated. There's nothing there. And I can't turn to my husband, because he's running, and I'm staying. We don't know what to do. We're a complete wreck, complete wreck. And I'm so thankful that God allows us to be in that place, because he loves us. God allows us to see that all this world and all that it has to offer you is empty, and he'll let us go to try to find out. He'll let us go. He'll let us get caught up in all these worldly things, And Because the beautiful thing is he's still there at the end of all of it, waiting for us to recognize that. Waiting patiently for us to get to the end of all of that, because he's still there. It's crazy. It's crazy. So we are a complete mess. Complete mess. Don't know what to do. In the midst of all this, you know, here's this Catholic faith, like, what was that all about? I do not know, because I'm completely not interested in it growing up at all. I I know that Jesus was on a cross. That's, like, all I got from that. And, And not anything against that, but just that was me. That was my journey. That was my experience with any sort of faith. And so in the midst of this falling apart of everything, there is a Christian in the midst. And you know how that goes. Oh yeah. This is my Uncle Mark. Oh yeah. And this man comes over with his Bible, his concordance, his whole satchel of stuff. CDs, books. He got a fish on the back of my truck, I think, for me. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like he comes over with the stuff, right? <laughs> and the thing is, it wasn't even what he brought with him. It was the joy that was pouring out of this guy. And we were desperate for hope, we were desperate for joy, we were desperate for life, is what we needed, really, was life. So in the midst of our loss, here comes Joy Boy, who is crazy about Jesus in every way you can imagine, crazy. And I'm like, I do not get that part. How are you so overwhelmed by Jesus? I, I, you know, for selfish reasons, I just want heaven. To be honest with you at that point, I just want heaven. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, Hunter's going to go to heaven, and I don't know what day that's going to be, because they say it's going to be within a year and a half. Fourteen months. Who knows? We don't know. So in my mind, I'm Hunter's mom, so I want to go to heaven, right? Isn't it great to know, isn't it comforting to know that Jesus takes you right where you are in your selfishness, because we all come to him for selfish reasons, because we don't even know how selfish we are until he starts to open wide that revelation. So Mark's coming over, and he's crazy in love with Jesus, and he opens the word of God to the book of Job. As if I'm not sad enough. As if I'm not, as if I need to know that, right? Hello, book of Job. Right now, the funny thing is, is I love that I absolutely love the book of Job. Why? Because very early on in my journey, before I started to even get to know God, God revealed something to me that has changed my life and continues to change my life every day that I walk with him through his word, that he is sovereign. He is sovereign. Not one thing comes into my life or your life apart from his grace knowledge, and purpose. I need to know that. I don't know about you right now. I need to know that. I need to know that what, what Hunter experienced wasn't just some disease, but that God had fearfully, wonderfully made my son exactly how he was. Exactly how he was. And that God used that, used the life of my one and only son to bring me to his one and only son. And suffering, oh, and I know we're kind of over the time limit, probably five hours, right? Have we been here for five hours? And suffering, let me tell you about something about suffering. If you don't know the suffering of Christ, you have nowhere to take your suffering, nowhere. You have every reason to be miserable and lost and desperate. Because in Christ's suffering, in the cross of Jesus, we find hope for our suffering. I just spit, watch out i'm getting excited Ah! in the cross at the at the suffering of jesus at the foot of that place at that place what that means is that you have somewhere to go with your pain that you have a reason to take your tears there because he bottles them up that is insanely cool to me and there's a verse for that i think it's psalm 56 8 i think not positive pastor Like, you figure that out. But, like, seriously, how amazing is that? And without Jesus, without what he did there, we have no hope for our suffering. None. We don't have any hope that the suffering is going to end someday. We have no hope that there's actually hope and joy in the midst of it. Because the beautiful thing about the cross and the resurrection is that this is not the end of the story for you and me. I am so thankful for that. I could just ball right now thinking about it. Get down on my face and just freak out ball. Because this is not it. God made a way. And it goes on for eternity. And it starts with his son. And it took my son and his life to get me to that place. Because, truth is, guess what? Although they, they told us that Hunter was dying, right? It wasn't until Hunter was actually dying that we realized that we were the ones that were dead. We were dead in our sin and fallen apart from the Lord. And that we actually needed a Savior. That we were, there's nothing on earth that we could possibly do to earn our way to him. But that he did it for us. It's crazy. It's outrageous love. It's, it's beyond anything we can imagine or understand. And yet he's revealed it to us through his word, through his son, through what we see every day. That Every day is a new day full of mercy. And so, the story goes on. And I have a lot more to share, but I know you've got to come up here, Pastor. So, and I feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed on a daily basis. And reminded every day that this is not the end. That every single day is one day closer to that day. Because there's going to be a that day, okay? And it might be, Jesus could decide tomorrow. None of us know. And yet your last breath might be tomorrow. And every moment is closer to that. And what should bring us incredible, intense, overwhelming joy is the fact that, yes, this is not the end of the story. But at the end of this is not the end of the story, there's Jesus. We're going to see him someday. So no matter what it is that we're all going through, no matter what loss we experience, no matter what triumph we experience, that's what gives us joy now is knowing what's coming. And it's coming. He's a promise keeper. It's coming. And so let today be the day. Let now be the moment that you grab onto that. Because there's people around you, if you know the Lord and you've been walking with him, there's people around you that need to see the joy coming out. And you can't manufacture that. It's not like you can be like, okay, I'm going to be full of joy today. No, it's, it's the spirit of God in you busting out. And maybe you, you, you're, you're not in his word, or maybe, I mean, not, not even that it's a to-do list. Just get down before God and say, I want that. Because I want the people that I know and love to know you. It's a work of God in your life. And let it be in the midst of your loss. Oh boy, because let me, let me tell you something. If they're watching you, it's when you're going through loss, when you're going through struggle. Because they're like, how in the world are you doing that? Only Christ. Pastor, you can come up if you want. Because <laughs> I can keep going, and I was looking at that time. <laughs> and he's like, you're so, I need to come up at 9.38. It's like 9.52. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <about> Perfect.
1: <laughs> I think No. I I was captivated, so I I lost track of time, honestly, and it's awesome. Um, Jill, your story's incredible. By the way, um, much of what Jill shared and and more is available in in her great book, Without a Word. I purchased it uh, some time ago, and my wife read it, and I read a few chapters in preparation for today. Outstanding book, and Jill will be selling this and and some other books. And um, Jill, I just want to ask you a few questions, obviously with Hunter, and uh, Jill spoke here in Rochester a couple years ago, at a, at a, um, it was a more of a small event, and I and, uh, have this little bracelet, she was excited to see it, I've got like a little woman here with all my Speaking bracelets. Speaking
0: of bracelets, do you know he has a, like a New Orleans Saints bracelet?
1: Yeah. <laughs> got a problem
0: with that? <laughs> oh no, I don't have a problem with that, I just let God take her. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's a little bit God, of contention. God just
1: spoke to me. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Mm. I, I will repay something like yes, that. Yes, and the truth no. will
0: be revealed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Why do I
1: feel like I'm talking to Sue, my wife up here? I'm in <laughs> Like a daily conversation. And um, so I have a, a lot of bracelets here. And, and one is uh, Hunter's Hope, and it's a green bracelet. And um, it's a reminder, we're going to ask about that because I want you to um, promote... A hunter's hope cause at the very end but i was just thinking what was it like what what was your lowest point in this whole story the lowest point obviously it had to be unbelievable to hear that news at the doctor's office but i know how being a pastor and being a, a person i know how grief comes in waves and you probably had a lower point even lower than that tell us a little bit about that the best you can recall Jill.
0: So you want me to cry? Is that what you're saying? I'm sweet. Okay. I'm, um, you know not. what? I would say my lowest low would have was eight months after Hunter went to heaven. And just and because I was a strong Christian, Strong, because in my weakness he is strong, That's um, a very weak Christian, uh, at that point in time just wrestling with my faith, and I I came face to face with doubting my my salvation, um, and doubting that God is who he he says he is, and that scared the life out of me, and I was, because that was what had sustained me throughout Hunter's entire life, I came to know, and I didn't get to that part, but I came to know Christ when Hunter was a year and a half, and so then Everything about everything that we did was all about life, and it changed everything. The way we looked at the disease, the way we looked at him, we stopped treating him like he was dying, we started treating him like he was living. So life had invaded. That's rich. I
1: hope, <clears throat> Maya, I hope you caught that, what, what you just said. You that started, we
0: stopped you st- treating, when that was Jesus. I mean, Jesus is life. So when he intervened in my heart, my mom, my dad, my brother, his wife, my daughter, and then eventually my other daughter, life overcame death, and that's... That's biblical. I mean, life overcomes death. That Jesus has has conquered death, and so he conquered death in our household. Even though you know they said Hunter was dying, life and overcame it all. So we stopped treating him like he was dying and treated him like he was living. That
1: that's rich, right there. That that that's a nugget, right there. That's static. No, is, that, is that me, guys? It's probably
0: you. Me. The, it's it's the Saints fan, you know. But anyway, I was. But yeah, my lowest low was definitely then, yeah. and I share about that. And I, I don't ever want to go back to that place. I was. I can't even explain how scary that was. But at the same time, what I learned from that and what I came out of that realizing is that God, though my faith ebbs and flows, and you know that the God is deeper than my even my faith, and that he actually holds my faith when I can't even hold it up myself. And and that's really what I had to learn at that time, was that I didn't have to put on a Christian veneer, you know? I didn't have to put on this Christian front and be all strong because of my faith, that it wasn't going to be my faith that I survive on. It was going to be just Christ, and that he was going to start, he was continuing to strip away a lot in my life. and And so I'm thankful for that, as hard as it was. And the grief thing, there is no rhyme or reason or 12-step program for grief. It is what it is, and God has, has graciously given us words to grieve by through the Psalms, and yeah. I'm just thankful for his, the truth that we can be who we are and not try to be someone we're not in the midst of grief.
1: And it's interesting that Hunter was diagnosed with the Crabbe's disease that led you to Florida, visiting family where you wintered and you became a Christian through your mom's brother, your uncle, and yet your lowest point and you had many years of being with Hunter, treating him like he was living, not like he's dying. You can only do that when you have an eternity. Right. That's the only way you can right. intellectually, honestly do that. And then you tell me that your lowest point was eight months after. Mm-hmm. Eight months after.
0: Yeah, and I, and you know, I think that I've also had low points since then, um, but I think that it's more so out of, this is going to sound so weird probably, but of disappointing God more the more than just my grief, you know, I just, there's some time, and I know that he's bigger than my disappointments, of you know, and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, I long so much to please him that sometimes I think that I get overcome and disappointed in in my not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Absolutely.
1: Does that makes sense. I absolutely okay. do. <laughs>
0: Sorry. We're just yeah. having conversations. It's awesome.
1: <laughs> no, that's that's what it's about. Now you um you shared how you became a Christian and I remember when you came a couple years ago you 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 intimated that that Jim was mm-hmm. on a journey his journey was a little bit more delayed than yours but Jim
0: it's in, the, it's in that East Brady water, it, I'm Yeah, sure. it
1: is, it is. He's well, a
0: Pennsylvania guy, that's why. Yeah,
1: he's a Western PA guy and, and uh, Six Brothers and that whole thing. Give us a little bit on, on Jim's story. How did Jim, you know, Jim's a rugged individualist, you know, and we're going to talk about that in a second in my devotional, but I'm sure he's a, I can do it. You, you intimated it in your um, talk that, you know, we can do it. You know people, we've got money. How did God help break Jim of his strong will And tell us briefly how he became a Christian as well.
0: Briefly. (laughs) He's joking, right? Well, it's funny because, and I have to say this because my mom is here, um, it was when my mom stopped praying for Jim that he got saved. When she stopped praying. No. (laughs) Because she was praying with wrong motives. That's what we figured it was. See? No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah. uh, So, in in Jim's testimony is Jim's testimony. And I could never adequately share his testimony because it's, it's his. And he should you know, he should be up there, actually, and maybe that, well, well, that one, we love him, by the way, Thurman, so, but Jim, and that's the thing, oh my goodness, there's so much I could share right now, The, the fact of the matter is, at least on my end of things, I, once I became a Christian, of course I wanted Jim to be a believer, because I wanted him to have the hope that I had, I wanted him to know what I started to know, and oh my goodness, and how How comforting it was to know that God had a plan and that He was going to had eternal life in store for us, and just all of those things. So of course, I wanted that for Jim, but God had to show me very early on that I wasn't going to be Jim's Holy Spirit, you see, and that there was so much work that had to be done in my heart that I just needed to fix my eyes on Jesus and let God have Jim. And the beautiful thing was is that yes, my young daughter, or which was my firstborn, got um, came to know Christ at the age of five and one night she had prayed she's like mommy we're in, we were in taking a bath with hunter and she's like mommy mommy we have to pray with daddy because we don't know when jesus is coming back now this is a little child saying this to me and i'm like oh because in my mind i'm like good <laughs> he'll he'll find jesus through aaron you know i'm like because it's not working with me but um so i was like okay aaron then why don't you pray with daddy tonight and so when we get out of the bathtub and I'm getting Hunter all dried off and ready for bed and I hear daddy daddy come in here we have to tell you something I want to pray with you and and so she ends up praying with him and says, all you have to do is repeat after me it's like the most adorable thing and she leads him through the prayer of salvation and he repeats after her and all that and and then she, he leaves the room and I'm freaking out because I'm like ma you know and Aaron starts jumping up and down and she's like The angels are praising God in heaven right now. The angels are praising God in heaven right now. And she's jumping up and down in the bed. And the thing is, I didn't even realize this then. And I realized it over this past... I've been working on another project. And I realized it over this past year. She believed God for that. In that moment. That is a picture of childlike faith. Though we didn't see the manifestation of that for a very long time. For years. Uh, So we didn't see the manifestation of that prayer. But it was... She believed it already. I want faith like that. And, and I didn't have it in that moment. Of course, you know, and I'm cynical and I'm like wanting to see something that wasn't there. And God had to totally wreck me once again to, and, and say to me ultimately, and it was actually at a basketball awards banquet where God was just like, Jill, I love him. My face, I mean, you could see it written all over my face. And I'm like, well, then help me too. You know, because there was so much turmoil and just so much that was going on in our relationship. So, so Jim's testimony really involves, obviously, all of the things leading up to it. Hunter's passing away and Jim not being there going to the wrong hospital and him just being five minutes late before Hunter stopped fully, completely breathing. Um, and, and really, my mom intervening, knowing that Jim had made some choices that were not um, good for a marriage. <laughs> if you know what I mean, um, where he was not faithful and had made some choices that needed to be confronted, and my mom confronting him, and and Jim obviously not dealing with that very well, but then recognizing his need. And so, I mean, just even me sharing it right now, it just seems to fall short because it really has to come from him in his heart. But God did eventually get a hold of Jim, and he's a different man, and it's so cool to just watch. And it's really been a learning experience for me too to just let God have His way and yeah. can you continue to lay off and you know are you doing your Bible study work today and I'm just like
1: yeah leave him alone know. you know <laughs> let
0: God do it and yeah. so yeah you'll have to have him back for it
1: it's hey I tried man I tried I tried to get him next week but uh, a little we will too late well how, like let's, asking let's, the week let's before see if I can, I know, yeah I know <laughs> well we'll talk about why I had to ask the week before in a little bit but um. Let me, let me do this because we have other people here who could testify to this. Would would you be open to having you and Jim come back maybe next year or at some oh, point yeah, that would work for your family? We could mm-hmm. do that. I think it'd be good. We'll send this CD to you along with a Saints Drew Brees, eight by 10 glossy.
0: He's like, and he's asking for, you know, we're talking about a Jersey for him and like, okay, well, where's it gonna go on that wall with those Saints jerseys? <laughs> Okay. It would have to, like, go over top of them. <laughs> okay.
1: I give up. I'm tapping out of this one. Right. Um, just a couple quick questions. Um, what are some lessons? Well, let me, before I say that, would be my last question. My second last question. Talk a little bit about Hunter's Hope Foundation. I really want you to, I know that you're, you're very strong. You and Jim are very strong in your belief, and rightly so. That early diagnosis is the key. Talk a, briefly about that and briefly about Hunter's Hope Foundation so that we can all be aware. Maybe we can go online, give you mm-hmm. your, the, the organization a gift. Briefly tell us a little bit about that so that we can all grow in awareness for this um, very yeah, sad disease. And,
0: and that would be the best thing is yep. if you would, you know, obviously go online. And, and the
1: website, Jill. Hunter'sHope.org.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a wealth of information there that I couldn't possibly briefly share here. <laughs> so Sorry, I won't say but that anymore. when Hunter was eight months old, and that was, you know, another, uh, and I didn't get to share about that, but that was another thing, you know, when Hunter was eight months old, I did say to Jim, I said, if, you know, if there's ever a time for you to use your name, it is now. Because there was no one doing anything for this disease, it was not well known at all, and we knew that we could make a difference because of all that God had allowed Jim to accomplish. And even at this time, I'm not a Christian yet. So. But we start Hunter's Hope. And you know, I think that that's something, too, that people do to respond to a tragedy or something like a disease or they want to do something for cancer. And all of those things are awesome. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they are, That's important that we reach out beyond ourselves, that we live beyond ourselves and help those who need it. And that's exactly what we chose to do through the foundation. But even still hunter's hope wasn't going to be my hope even helping people pouring out our lives for them to encourage them and like i said as awesome as that is that was not going to be my hope and i think that a lot of people search for hope in that kind of a way and we did too and it still wasn't enough because only jesus is enough and at hunter's hope we you know unbelievable what god's doing. it's so overwhelming, to be honest with you. That, and he continues to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And ultimately, you know, for, for me, the goal there, if, if you want to call it a goal, my heart's cry for the foundation is that families who have been devastated with the same news that we were find hope in Christ. Yeah. We're not a ministry, but we do ministry. Yes. Um, so, And please, yeah, go online to find out about newborn screening. There's so much to understand and learn about newborn screening. Because if Hunter, remember I said he passed all of his newborn screening tests. If Crabbe was on the test, which, is, which it is now in New York State, thank God. That's
1: awesome. But, yeah, that great news? Great news.
0: But if it was on the test and we found out that he was born, he could have had a transplant, although he couldn't have because he didn't have transplants at that point in time. But now, children diagnosed can get a transplant, so.
1: No, that's awesome. Incredible. Jill, um, just any, you know, we're, we're here, and I'll give a brief devotional. I'll bring brief on myself because I keep saying it, and I'm sorry. But brief, brief. <laughs> he said that about five times. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessive. Could you, could you share one final lesson on loss? All of us have loss.
0: Hmm.
1: We're limping through a loss right now, perhaps. One final lesson for people here as we wrap up.
0: Um, I guess it would be that Jesus is it. Uh, it's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. He's sufficient in and of himself, who he is, what he has done, and what he continues to do each and every breath that we take in our lives. And I don't think there's anything more than that. I I don't actually think there's any more than that.
1: How do you add to that? I, I, I want to say personally, what a you know, when we do our research, you know, we have some perceptions of the player or the individual, and then I do my research, the player. I'm at, not a
0: player, but, you know.
1: Player, you know, I didn't mean it in that way.
0: <laughs> I and, know. Uh,
1: and when you do the research, you have a perception of the individual, and then it develops. And I have to say humbly that my, and Sue's uh, view of you and, and your Your mother and Jim and your family has just escalated. And I hope you heard that in her heart. So, Jill, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: You know, the loss that, that Jill and Jim and, and their two daughters and their whole family had uh, experienced when they got the diagnosis of Hunter having Crabbe disease um, is a heavy one. I was thinking about what is loss? Loss is like an emotional debt. It's, it's, a, it's a psychological subtraction. It's a sense and a feeling of profound emptiness and finding little. To fill the void. And all of us know the pain of loss. Um, these days, a lot of it is the loss of a job and a career. Maybe the loss of health, a relationship. Maybe the loss of a marriage. Maybe you're losing a marriage now. Uh, maybe it's the loss of a friend that you've been friends with and you're not friends anymore. Or finances. Or maybe the literal loss of somebody who has Died. Died. Very few of us like loss. None of us that I know of invite loss into our lives. We avoid it like the plague. We reject it at all costs. We do everything we can to never, ever, ever experience loss. But this morning, I want to talk about someone who actually had a different perspective on loss. He actually didn't avoid loss. Uh, He didn't reject it. He even willingly embraced it. It's the Apostle Paul, and in your program... There's some notes, and I want to quickly uh, talk a little bit about that. Paul experienced the greatest loss any human being has ever experienced in life. Uh, No one has experienced a greater one, and he did so by choice. So this morning, I want to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and following, and talk about how to handle loss so it becomes gain. How to handle loss so it becomes gain. You can scan the barcode on the back of your notes and pull up the notes electronically, or you can just do the hard copy thing. Let me give you three brief lessons on how to overcome loss so that it can become gain. The first thing is when you go through a loss, any kind of loss, let loss break you of any independent pride. The first thing God wants to do in your loss is to break you of pride, to break you of self-dependence to shake you from the faulty thinking that you can do life alone. Did you hear that in Jill's story? We know everybody, we have all the money, we've got connections, we can figure it out. And have you ever noticed sometimes in your life when you go through loss, the first reaction is to figure it out and to solve it. And then, you ever notice that, many, that sometimes God will bring a dead end every time? Nope, nope, nope. Why? Why does God do that? Those are the times we say, God, why do you do this? And I don't have a simple answer for it, but can I say what one of them may or may not be? Sometimes it's because I want to break you of you. I want to break you of you. It's a form of pride, and loss is a way that God uses to break us of pride. Paul begins in verse 4 to 7. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if anybody thinks... But they've accomplished more, they've been more, they've done more, they've attained more, they've achieved more. Paul says, I'm the guy. I mean, if Paul were in the NFL, he'd go like this. And he lists five things. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He's talking about his allegiance to the law. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I mean I'm pure, I'm ethnically pure. Of the people of Israel, and of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, not only did he obey the law, he was one of the top teachers of the law, which is what a Pharisee was. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's like, you know, magna cum laude and everything he touches. As for zeal, persecuting the church. In other words, I was so caught up into it, I would even persecute Christians. Because at that time, I thought Christians were against Jewish people. Of course, he found out that Christians love Jewish people, as we do today. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. I mean, he scrutinized the law and obeyed it. Now, he wasn't sinless, but in his mind, to that degree, relative to other people, I suppose he was. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says, I had the whole portfolio, I had everything right. But now I consider it an absolute loss. don't have it anymore for the sake of Christ. God uh, God broke Paul uh, when he was on the road to Damascus. By the way, ironically, if you read about Acts chapter 9, he was on the road to Damascus to gather some Christians likely to be killed. And he's about to do this, and... You ever hear the expression, a Damascus Road experience? That's because Paul was literally converted by God miraculously when God spoke to him. God uses loss to get us to depend less on ourselves and more on him. If you don't understand that, you'll never figure out loss. You'll never figure out why loss comes into your life. Jill Kelly didn't learn to depend on Christ until she discovered the loss that Hunter had Crabbe's disease. And the loss was difficult, but the gain for Jill was enormous. Do you see how God is using your loss to get you to depend more on him? He wants you to forget. You know, you go through circumstances. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And God says, forget about who you are and focus on who I am. And that leads to the second way God wants us to handle loss so it becomes gain. And that's this. When you go through loss, let loss help you prioritize what truly matters. Nothing is a prioritizer quite like loss. God wants to allow loss into your life so that you start to have the right priorities. He goes on, verse 8. He says, what is more? He goes, you know what? I had, I had all these things, but it was I, I consider it a loss compared to the greatness of knowing. He says, what's more, I consider everything a loss. Everything. Not just what I listed before, everything in my life. I consider it a loss. In comparison, compared to the, and I love the superlatives here, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he goes on, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, God brought loss into my life, but now I voluntarily lose everything because it doesn't matter. I stack everything up to Jesus Christ and it's nothing, he says. I consider them rubbish. Um, the Greek word for that is skubala. It, it means the stuff that it means number two. Okay, that's what exactly what it means. My tongue is bleeding right now. That I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. Loss is gain. Whenever God takes something away, He puts in something better if we let Him. His better may not be what we think is better, but his better is always better. And can be found in him. Then he explains how he found Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that old way that I know is a loss. Not not by being good enough, by obeying the Ten Commandments. All of these lies that people believe about going to heaven. I'll be a good person, I'll obey the Ten Commandments. Paul says none of that works. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The righteousness that comes from God, not from our own moral goodness. And the righteousness that comes by faith, not by moral behavior, performance, rituals, and routines, and religion and such. Faith is the key for two priorities. Uh, To see things through faith is the only way you get what a priority is. It's the only way you'll ever figure out is by faith. And Paul says, when I became a Christian, it helped me get my priorities straight. Loss wasn't a big loss anymore because I had the greatest gift in my life, Jesus Christ. And you heard about it from Jill. You have to come to the place, if you ever want to be a Christian or if you want to grow as a Christian, you have to come to the place that John the Baptist said when he said, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And to become a Christian, you have to decrease to such a level that you say, I am totally sinful not I'm a pretty good person if you still think you're a pretty good person you're not ready to become a Christian you just are not just telling you right now Um, figure it out because you have to get to the place and and it bothers me that some people think you accept Jesus to be happy I don't find that in the Bible you accept Jesus because you are in desperate need and if you think you're a pretty good person Figure out real quick that maybe compared to others you are, but when it comes to God's holy standards, you're not. You're not. And that you're sinful. And you heard it in Jill. How many times did Jill acknowledge that? And you say, Jesus, I need you. And if I put faith in you, the Bible says God's righteousness, which is perfect righteousness, replaces our righteousness, which is really not a righteousness at all. And he makes the great exchange. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when I have that in my life, loss doesn't matter. Nothing's a loss. If Jesus is infinite greatness, and I believe that he is, and you have infinite greatness and the promise of eternal life, if you have that proper mindset about what you've received, nothing else should really matter. It's all a loss that doesn't matter compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. That's Paul's point. What are your priorities in life? Can I tell you what they should be? should be faith, family. You ever hear this? My family is the most important thing to me in my life. Sorry, Jesus is. It's faith. Then it's your family. By the way, if I can sub-break that out, it's your spouse first, then your kids. And then it's your friends, people who know Jesus Christ and people who don't yet and you're trying to talk to them. And then it's your functions and your work, and and, and then it's golf. That doesn't begin with F, but I had to get golf in there. And God will customize loss in your life to get you to prioritize what truly matters. He really will. One last word as we wrap up. Loss will be used by God to break you of independent pride. Loss will be used by God to help you prioritize what truly matters. The third thing Paul tells us in Philippians 3 is that loss can draw you closer to the heart of God if you let it. Jill said something, I I smiled, a big smile, because it's like she read my script. Nothing gets us closer to the heart of God like loss and suffering. Why? Because God the Father suffered when he watched his son, Jesus Christ, suffer on the cross. And if we want to be like Jesus, we always think, I want to be like Jesus, and that's really good. You know, I want to be Kind, I want to be generous, I want to be forgiving, yes. But why don't we ever think, I want to be like Jesus and I want to suffer like him? Well, if we do, that's part of the deal. So Paul goes on and he says, I want to know Christ. He says, I'm a Christian, but now I want to keep knowing him. Because once you become a Christian, you keep knowing God deeper and deeper. The more you study the Bible, the more you pray, the more you come to church, the more you serve, the more you give, and all the Christian disciplines and such. And the power of his resurrection, and watch this, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I, I want to suffer so much that I willingly am able, I'm willing to die. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, of course he is going to, and he's saying this with humility, but he knows he's going to be resurrected. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Jesus Christ took a hold of me. What i found is that loss will do one of two things. It'll either break you or it will harden you. One of the two things. And sometimes, if you're like me, you get a little bit of both. You get a little hardened and then God breaks you. And the choices always are. So as I wrap up, how are you going to handle loss in your life? Will you let it break you of independent pride? Or will you stay prideful? Will you let it help you re-examine your priorities because there's nothing that does it better than loss? And then finally, will will you let it draw you closer to God and his heart? Or will you harden your heart and stay distant? And loss, if I can just give you the big thing, this is what Paul says as I wrap up. Loss is a matter of perspective. How will you see God in it? How will you see yourself in it? I wrap up with this thought. There's a Persian proverb. Oh, I've, been think, I've been waiting for this. All. This is so good. Persian proverb says this. I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And loss is always about perspective. Let's all bow our heads. Lord God, thank you for these people. What an incredible morning just to hear your servant Jill share and to hear from your word. And uh, we just thank you right now that Hunter is in heaven. It's an incredible thought. This beautiful little boy, Hunter is in heaven. And Jill and Jim, because of their faith, are going to be in heaven. And they'll celebrate. That will be a cool moment to see that. And I pray everybody here would be in heaven. I pray everybody here would understand the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And I know they come with loss. I know in this section there's a, some loss, and this section has its own. and in, th- in these sections, they all have their own losses. I pray, God, that they would see loss as gain through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, friend, that you'll just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me a brand new person inside. I'm sorry for my sin against you, others, and even myself. I believe Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he shed his blood. And that his blood cleanses me of sin, and he rose from the grave. I believe that in my head. I receive it in my heart by faith alone. And the Bible says God will transform you. Life won't be easy. You heard Jill's story. It hasn't been perfect or easy since. But it's the greatest thrill ride because you get to know God and spend eternity with him. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about how to come back from loss in your name. Amen.